Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Did you know that She's Got Issues has a magazine called, what else would it be called? Issues. And issue number one is out. You can find it at she'sgotissues.com, which is in the show notes. I'm really proud of it and excited about it. So I would love you to check it out and let me know what you think. Dr. Shonda Macias is the CEO of National Holistic Healthcare, a medical marijuana cultivator, processor, and dispenser in multiple states. Dr. Messia has spent over 15 years developing her knowledge of medical marijuana to have a positive impact on patients' lives. In addition, she educates women entrepreneurs and patients through her outreach platform as the chairwoman of the board of managers and CEO for Women Grow, which is the global leader in connecting, educating, inspiring, and empowering the next generation of women leaders in the cannabis industry. Finally, Dr. Macias is the Vice Chair of the National Cannabis Roundtable, which is dedicated to promoting common-sense federal legislation, tax equity, and financial services reform, which is desperately needed. So thank you so much for joining me today. I've been really excited to talk to you because this is not a subject matter that enough people talk about. So. Please um, tell me how you got involved in the cannabis industry and what what brought you to this. I started in the cannabis industry through my cancer studies. And uh, when I was in undergrad, I was just so shocked and alarmed the number of women with breast cancer. So I studied something called the BRCA1 gene, which is an aggressive form of breast cancer in women. Um, And through my studies, what I realized is that cannabis actually was used to treat the symptoms of um, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And as I continued down this journey, I decided to learn more about different cancers. So I studied prostate cancer, and that's what I completed my dissertation on is prostate cancer metastasis to bone. And again, what I realized was that cannabis was actually used as medicine, that it helped the symptoms of um, with related to cancer. And it was such a miraculous experience for me. I just didn't understand why the government wouldn't give people access to this medicine that really helped them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before we get any deeper, I do have a question. What is the proper terminology? Because I hear it, it seems like cannabis is, but marijuana, and then it's easier to call it weed. What is, what is the proper, (laughs) what do we actually call it? The proper term is cannabis. When you say marijuana, for those that know, a lot of people don't know this. It was, um, it's a derogatory term that they pin to like Hispanics uh, that they said sold marijuana in the United States illegally. So the plant itself is a cannabis plant and, um, and weed is just a slang name for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Makes total sense. <laughs> so what sort of results were you seeing in the cancer patients? How were they getting, how were their symptoms alleviated? 
Well, it was very interesting because when you have um, treatment for cancer, the chemotherapy itself can cause a lot of nausea, um, and that nausea can lead to vomiting. It can lead to severe weight loss um, also because your appetite is no longer there, um, and then pain associated with whatever type of cancer. And this was medicine or the cannabis plant was really able to treat like all three in one. And that's why you see these depictions of people with cancer um, smoking a joint or um, using cannabis just to help them get past their different symptoms. Okay. Why is there so much resistance to accepting a plant? (laughs) And the fact, like, it seems like the most natural way in the world to possibly alleviate symptoms. So why... What the hell? Like, why is it so complicated? Take us back. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's a little um, saddened too to understand the dynamics about it, but it really feeds into a, a bigger discussion, which feeds into racism and also sexism. And what we've seen is that people who didn't have access to healthcare tend to use cannabis. Um, And those individuals that were patients still had depression, might have anxiety, had different ailments and conditions that chose to use cannabis as a way of helping their symptoms actually um, were arrested for possession Mm -hmm. of the cannabis plant. Those possession charges led to filling in private prisons and also generating a really good return on people's investment in those private um, prison systems. Mm -hmm. And the populations that were targeted were, of course, no question about it, the Black male. But there is a population of women that I represent that were also impacted um, by having cannabis possession whether for themselves or also treating with their children. Mm-hmm. And this is what is the, you know, the heartstrings pull because as a scientist, I know that it actually works because I've seen it. I've seen it documented and to have people in prison or have their children taken away was just heartbreaking that this is happening. So it became my life's mission to really educate people about the benefits of the cannabis plant. Um, And what I have seen through anecdotal um, results is that people have definitely had a better quality of life once they've used cannabis, um, depending, of course, on their condition or their ailment, and um, that no one should go to prison or have their children taken away if they choose to use the alternate form of medication. Certainly not. And fortunately, legalization is changing in Maryland in 15 days or so, it will be legalized. Um, and it's, I don't think I'll ever get over the thrill of walking in to a dispensary and seeing everything laid out like it's candy. <laughs> it's just like so thrilling. Um, how has legalization, the legalization of cannabis 
how has that changed um, your personal experience with it? Um, have you seen people be more receptive to using it? Has that been a benefit? You know, there is, that's a great question, Jill. So what I've seen is that when people go into adult use programs or recreational programs, um, they expect a different experience. And what I tell people is that all cannabis is medicine. And um, so the therapeutic effects are really the same. Now, depending on your condition or your ailment, you should align the right type of cannabis with the ailment or the condition because not all cannabis is equal, um, but you'll see a benefit if you use it properly. And in a recreational market, the only thing it really does is it protects your privacy if you don't want to have that paper trail behind you for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that you don't want it. I know that my dispensary National Holistic Healing Center is in Washington, D.C. We are a federal city. So a lot of people, even if they're using it for the medical purposes, don't want their records to reflect that they're using medical marijuana because it's still federally illegal. Mm. And therefore, they don't want to go into a dispensary um, and see a doctor for their condition to get the recommendation. They prefer just coming in, showing their ID, making the purchase still for the same condition and being able to leave without having to disclose all of their personal information and um, protecting their own privacy. Yeah, it's crazy that there's such a stigma still about it in 2023 that people would be so ashamed and just, yeah, it's people don't, at least women I have found are not, either they're not, they don't smoke or ingest or however they're getting their weed in them, um, or they don't talk about it because it's not something that. I don't know. I've never found like it working its way into casual conversation the way drinking would. Um, is that getting better? Have you found, or do you think that's just sort of always going to be stuck in this icky place where people don't talk? I think that is definitely getting better, Jill. The issue is that it's still illegal. I don't want to mask that in any way. And so if it's an illegal thing to do, a lot of women, especially high profile women, don't want to disclose that they're using an illegal substance because they don't know what the backlash would be. It was just recently, even though we're trending towards legalization, we just got state workers rights to use medical cannabis. Mm -hmm. But that is not even in adult use market, that's just medical purposes only. So there are protections for their employments, for their children. Um, Everything that goes along with using cannabis is at risk when they disclose it. And so you have to know how to navigate this really tricky space until it is fully legalized and normalized. But what I find is that we have a 50-50 ratio. Women use cannabis equally to men. 
And those statistics are standing strong and maybe they're not disclosing it to their friends, but they're definitely using it. Interesting. That's a surprising Mm -hmm. statistic. And are they consuming it alone or in groups? Is that like, is that known? I think the nature of women, they're keeping it kind of private. For example, my soccer mom's will take a water bottle and drop a drop of oil tincture inside of it, shake it up, and then microdose on it while they're watching their kids like play soccer. And Just they're jumping up and down. <laughs> yes, they're jumping. They're happy. They're like, I can actually be fully present in the right. moment because I'm not thinking about the anxiety of like, I got to go home and get dinner going and get the kids in the bathtub and they can be present and be able to enjoy the experience of motherhood or parenthood at that moment because of their ability to use the medicine in a responsible way with enjoying their kids at the same time. Oh my goodness. When my kids were little, I... When they were little, little, I wouldn't do anything because I was obviously whatever. I was preoccupied with them. Um, But when they were like toddler and up, if there was another sober adult in the house, um, they were the most fun things ever when you're stoned. (laughs) Like, oh my God. (laughs) Like all of their television shows and movies and songs, like they are not made for sober people. They are made for high people. They just are, period. Um, And just the incessant games and everything. You just have so much more patience for it. Um, So I am a big advocate, not for getting out of control, but for the way a glass of wine would take off the edge that it just, you know, if you need it at the end of the day, it does, it does help. Um, Now I'm going to get sidetracked a little bit. There's so much I want to talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about overuse because, um, and because they say that weed is not addictive and it's not habit forming. I beg to differ. Um, I beg to differ, period, (laughs) because I have found it to be very habit-forming in my life and gone through periods where I've really tried to weed myself off and have had so much trouble. Um, Is that – I don't really hear that being talked about. I mean, there's obviously a lot about sobriety, but it's either there's sobriety sobriety or there's California sobriety where you still get the weed but not the alcohol – But is that, am I alone here? Are there people who just get carried away with it and um, need to just really cut back? No. What the issue is, Jill, and the practicality is that when your doctor puts you on a prescription medication, you're to continue to take that until um, the ailment or condition seeks. But there are some ailments and conditions that are chronic that will last a lifetime. And therefore, just like any other medication, you need to continually use it to achieve whatever well state of well-being you need to have. Now, the scientific basis of that is that the truth is that we have something called an endocannabinoid system. And we actually make cannabis in our own body. Yeah, this is They're so cool. I'm glad you're talking about this because this, I need this explained. Yes, it does. And over evolution, what we found is that um, 
we are not able to produce cannabinoids at the rate we once did. And because we're not able to produce um, cannabinoids, we need to um, actually bring them into the system to achieve that homeostasis or that balance that we're trying to achieve in our body for well wellness, well-being. And this sounds a little woo-woo, but you're a doctor. Like, this isn't at all. This isn't. <laughs> this is legitimate. This is legitimate. And so in order for us to be well-balanced and also to have a quality of life, we have to have a certain threshold of cannabinoids in our body that we have to introduce because we no longer can produce them naturally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's where that comes from. So what you're saying is a real thing. It's a real phenomenon. And so it's not an addiction per se. It's your body needs a certain level of cannabinoids in order for you to achieve your wellness. And you're not able to produce it all naturally. And therefore, you have to introduce them into your system. Speaking to you is making me feel like there really should be a doctor who prescribes the medical cards who you have the opportunity to talk to. And there is. And I just didn't take advantage of it and just sort of like eased my way through it. And I really should have taken the time. So to anybody who is um, looking, if you don't live in the D.C. area, um, you know, and you're going through your certification, if you're doing it recreationally, really talk to the people behind the counter because it's so complicated. What would you tell someone who is like, okay, I see the benefits. I'm going to, I see the light. Where do they start? You know, I think you said it right there. Speaking to people who understand cannabis as a medicine and not cannabis is just a way of getting high because there's so much more to this plant that people can't even imagine. And when people say things like, Jill, oh, that was some great weed. <laughs> the reason it was great because it's what your body needed. Mm-hmm. But what your body needs and what someone else needs are two different things. And speaking to those healthcare professionals behind the desk, they can tell you, Okay, what is it specifically that you're dealing with? Mm. I was so shocked to, to find out that my dad and stepmom um, totally smoke, both medically and recreationally. And I just thought it was so comical after spending so much time worrying that they'd find out about what I was doing, that they were actually doing it too. And it was... I don't know. It was just so eye-opening that like, yes, there are people and they have these experiences, but now as a parent with teenage kids, one of whom is in college and one of whom is 17, they're aware that I do this and it's shaping their, you know, life views. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, And I'm wondering how you feel about kids and introducing them to cannabis. It was very interesting, Jill, because when I started in the industry operating, my son was four years old mm-hmm. and um, there were still raids going on in the cannabis industry where the police would come and literally like raid your facilities. And so, um, and I told you frankly about a lot of women getting their children taken away from them. And I was afraid that would happen. Like if it got out that you know, my son, um, his mother was selling marijuana, cannabis that, you know, they would call 
the police or social services mm-hmm. on me. So I had to literally train my son not to say words that he would hear me speak pretty mm-hmm. casually about because we're talking about work, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't say marijuana, cannabis, pre-roll. Um, I mean, weed. he was trained wow. from the beginning not to speak those words because they would have took them away from me. And, um, these, I said, well, what would you say if, um, you know, if your mother, um, they asked you what your mom does. And he said, oh, you're a doctor. You help people. That's easy, mom. Oh, there and you go. <laughs> I just remember it was a CBS, um, news morning news clip and it had us Gail key introduced us and Chip Reed was the commentator and he said, you know, how does your school look? He was in the conservative Catholic school and they interviewed him straight out. And he told them, you know, this is what it is. Like I have learned to navigate this because I have to protect my mother and I have to protect me. So what I'm saying, Jill, is that there's an age appropriateness of having the cannabis talk. The cannabis talk for a four-year-old and then a cannabis talk for a 10-year-old or even a 13 and 15-year-old are all different. It's all relative to that child and you know where your child is and what you can, you know, say to them, especially if you think about the sex talk. And it is something you naturalize, something that you normalize so that there's not this aha moment that you say, oh, all of a sudden, yes, there's cannabis and we're using it. No, if it's medicine, let's respect it as such. And if you need it one day, let's have that conversation. I feel like the place where my friends and myself are right now is, I mean, almost questioning, not almost, but sincerely questioning. So is it better that I, if I just, oops, get a vape that's high CBD and low THC and oops, have the kids find it rather than have them go on Snapchat and seek it out where they're, what is the alternative? Like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't, I don't want to be introducing my teenagers to drugs, but they've already been introduced to them at this point at 17 and 19 years old. And I'm so terrified of fentanyl and of, you know, things mixed in that, that I feel like a plant, I'd much rather them be dealing with a plant than God forbid anything else. So what, (laughs) what do we do? Yeah. Well, this is very interesting, Jill. First of all, I have to say, This is such an impactful question and never question that you're a good mother because even bringing this subject up, it just resonates with me like you want to help others. So something to be very, very proud of. Um, What I've found is that, um, and this gets a little touchy for me, um, a lot of my patients that are white males um, between 21 and 24, they got introduced to opioids when they broke their bones during football practice, Mm -hmm. or they had their molars pulled out, or um, where um, it was actually legal 
in the sense that they were introduced to opioids. And they told me at that point that they actually started their, that started their addiction. Okay. And um, what happened during COVID in particular, a lot of them started to be, to, to fear losing their lives because they were using too many opioids to sustain them. And um, we just have a cannabis replacement therapy for opioid usage. Now, a lot of parents don't realize that they're the ones who introduced the opioids into their children's life, Mm -hmm. thinking that they didn't form an addiction or didn't introduce into something that potentially would stay with them um, until their adulthood. And so what we're seeing now is that the children themselves are deciding, I know, I know it, it does hurt because we didn't know. We literally didn't know as parents what we were doing. We're just doing what we're told to. And the children um, have um, started to experiment with other drugs because they're not able always to get the opioids. And parents that I have been working with have gotten their kids cannabis cards for that reason Mm -hmm. alone, where it's you come in, let's talk about your symptoms. If you're using cannabis illegally right now as a teenager, why? I need to understand the underlying issue. Are you experiencing depression from a breakup? Do you have anxiety? Is it really pain from your injuries that you are undergoing? What are the issues that you are addressing as a teenager that I can help you with in a responsible way? And I think having that conversation is bringing you one-to-one with your child and letting your child know One, I am not introducing you to cannabis just for a way of you to get high. I'm trying to save your life or your livelihood in some way. And let's take this very seriously, because if you do go to the street and acquire all these different medications, whether they're opioids or fentanyl or even cannabis or other forms that are not tested, you can hurt yourself. And as your parent, I love you enough to suck up whatever it is that I don't know and I don't know how to navigate to figure this out with you. And I think that right there will alarm kids on how important it is to have a relationship with their parents and to have someone guide them through this process and eventually get them to a point of wellness, which otherwise it would be extremely hard for a 16-year-old to be able to achieve on their own. Oh, can you just talk to my kids tonight? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was so insightful. Thank you. That gave me a lot to think about. So let's back up a little bit and just define a couple of things for people who aren't familiar. Um, I know there are a lot of terms that are, you know, we just threw around recreational and medical and there's THC and there's CBDs and there's, I mean, they're all this stuff. So can you just do a little bit of a... Um, I don't know, a bit of a schooling on, on what's what so so people know the language. Yeah, definitely. I would love that. Make it easy. Mm. I always say kiss. Keep it simple. Yeah, stupid. So, <laughs> yes. And um, this is interesting. So you have this beautiful plant. This is the plant here. And it's- Five um, fingers. She's holding it, up five fingers, folks. 
Yes. And it's like, uh, it's a bud. And inside this plant itself are different compositions. There are the main um, molecule, which is the cannabinoids. There's something called terpenes. Um, and there are other chemical compositions inside. But those are the two ones that have the most influence on um, treating symptoms um, that people have from different ailments and conditions. Let me define those two terms. The cannabinoids are actually over 140 um, molecules that are only produced by the cannabis plant that can help with driving your cells into a wellness state. And so there's different cannabinoids that do different things in the body. The two, or I'm going to say three of the well-known ones is THC, which causes an intoxicating um, effect on the mm -hmm. body, which treats pain. The second one is CBD, which is also um, an anti-inflammatory, um, primarily anti-anxiety um, that's what it usually treats, mm. typically. It has some other properties to it, but I'm keeping it top level. Mm. The next one that people are really getting the hang of is CBN, which causes a sedative effect that can put you to sleep for insomnia. Okay. But there are over 140 of these chemicals that are doing different things in the body. So depending on your, if you have cancer or depending if you have MS or epilepsy, different formulas of these cannabinoids actually go in to the cell and help stimulate what needs to happen to achieve wellness. Now, you have these, and then you have something called terpenes. Mm -hmm. Terpenes is something that's also natural, and it's in the plant, but they're in many plants. In other food forms, it's called terpenoids. So if you have uh, a lemon, um, your terpene there is limonene mm -hmm. and it gives you that lemon flavor, that mm -hmm. aroma. And the lemon itself, what it does, it causes, a, it induces an antidiuretic effect. So it helps you release water. That's why you put it in your water, you mm -hmm. drink it and it helps you release it. It also gives you a little bit of perk of focus. And um, when you drink it, you're like, that was refreshing. Mm -hmm. And if you take that terpenoid and put it in a cannabis plant, it's called a terpene, and it gives you the same exact benefit. It's an antidiuretic, and mm -hmm. also it perks you up. It gives you focus in your mind. Okay. And so this is how these two different chemicals or molecules come together to create this wellness effect in the body. So when I think about terpenes or terpenoids, you can think about the lemon, but myrosine is high in black pepper. You can talk about pining, which is very high in the pine plant, mm -hmm. aromatherapies of the lavender. And so all these effects from lavender relaxation, it is natural within the plant. So whether you inhale the plant whether you take it in a liquid form or a vaporization form, you're getting all the benefits of these terpenes and cannabinoids together to create this wellness effect. Okay. And where does the 
indica and sativa? Where does that come from? That comes because certain cannabis plants have more cannabinoids that cause more of a full body relaxation. And some of them have a concentration of cannabinoids that give you more of a mental or uh, a mind lift. And so sativa is usually what triggers the mind. And we focus on mental health with the sativa. Mm -hmm. If you have full body systemic pain, we'll go to the indica. But the way the plant is, there's also this category that is a little bit of indica and a little bit of sativa. And we call those hybrids. Mm -hmm. So you can get a plant that stimulates the mind to deal with your condition whether it's mental or migraines or physically throughout the body. So you get the benefits of both of them. And that's where really working with professionals to find the right strain for your condition matters. Because a lot of people think, well, if I get rid of the pain, I'm fine. But they don't realize that pain causes depression. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't get something to lift your head up and make you giggle a little, you might get rid of one symptom, but you're not getting rid of both of them. And so, um, and you'll be surprised how many other underlying conditions people have. Um, When you think about pain and depression, just going together, but then you think about depression and insomnia. Mm -hmm. So then it starts to compound and therefore you need a strain that really can help with your whole body health. So you really need to be a very thoughtful cannabis user. It's, I remember, you know, in college when it was just so easy. You just buy a little dime bag and you had no idea exactly what it was, but it was weed. You thought it could be oregano, you know, but you're pretty sure it wasn't. Um, it's so different now and it's so different with, I don't know, just it's overwhelming. Um, someone, I won't use specifics, my mother. <laughs> so, someone who is older and has been sort of turned off by cannabis their whole lives, but is beginning to think maybe it would be beneficial. How do you sell them on it if they're still resistant and they just still feel like it's, you know, sort of the bad boy, bad girl thing to do? Yeah, we call it the considerate bad lettuce. Like, it's <laughs> bad lettuce. Um, we get those patients all the time. The the mother, who's usually like the caregiver or semi-caregiver, drags their... Um, well, the mother being me drags their mother in who's the elder yep. or the senior citizen. And they're like, you know, tell my mom that she needs to use this. And I'm like, well, first of all, she's not going to use it if you just tell her to use it. She wants right. to understand. And usually what I do is say, let's take this in steps and let's try what what is, you know, what is your issue? What is not working for you. And they'll usually say, I have arthritis in the hands or the knees. Um, and it's just so much pain with it. So I always try to stop or start with a topical and with the topical go low and slow, we say, (laughs) but they'll start to see the relief. And Mm -hmm. I said, make me a promise. If the topical works, 
that you'll come back and you'll consider using another form. Mm -hmm. And if they make the promise, they'll try the topical and then it works. Once it works, they come back and I'll just say, won't you use a one-to-one ratio of CBD to THC in your tea? So just prepare your hot tea and put a drop in. Mm -hmm. And what I'm introducing to them is internally is helping them treat themselves with an anti-inflammatory. And that's primarily the CBD, but because they have pain, also giving them the THC. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that when you use CBD and THC in the same ratios, you don't get an intoxicating effect. You get really the full relief of the pain, but you're not intoxicated. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. I did not know that. So if people start with topical, where do they go next? Is vaping? I would do the tincture next. Tincture. The tincture next. next. Yeah. Okay. The tincture. And explain, and, tinctures, uh, explain how they work. Yeah, sure. It's um, it's very, very simple concept. You take your flower bud, right? That I told you about the five fingers. Mm-hmm. You shake it really, really, really hard. And what happens is that these trichomes actually fall off of the bud. And the trichomes are where the cannabinoids are actually living inside of it. And so you take those and then they mix those with the oil base. Most of the tincture oil base is going to be coconut oil. They call it MCT oil. Mm -hmm. And they mix it with that, just high level mixing with it. And then you fill it into a bottle and you take a drop and you put it in your tea. Mm -hmm. And that's a tincture. And that's a magic tea. That's a magic tea. (laughs) And if you want to get more of the other components of the cannabis plant, like I said, the terpenes, you can literally take the plant and put the whole plant in the MCT oil and then let it extract from the plant and then take that and drop it into your tea as well. So it just depends on what you're looking for or what you have access to in the medical or adult use markets. But most people want to use the whole plant because there's so many good things like the terpenes that are present and you want the effect of the plant in its wholeness versus just like the the cannabinoids. The cannabinoids are good, but terpenes actually um, direct your wellness so if you need focus, like I said, that lemon, it yeah. kind of like gives you that clarity, cuts it. And if it, it, the lemon gives you that direction you need to go in and the cannabinoids are more like the power behind it. So if you're driving a car, then to turn, you use the terpenes, but what gives it its thrust is the cannabinoids. And that's the best so way to look at it. Because I... Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I just get lazy and I settle on hybrids so that I don't need to really think about um, which, if it's indica or sativa that I want more, but um, you're making me want to be a lot more thoughtful about 
what I am um, using. So I really appreciate it. Let's talk about some of the other ailments, um, situations that cannabis can be useful for. Um, I know we're talking about menopause for an article you're going to be helping me with for the next magazine issue. Um, So menopause aside, because we'll get to that, let's talk about some of the other stuff. Um, Tell me, yeah, what are some of the top things that people, people are using it for? I will tell you probably um, my top three. There's a lot of symptoms that cannabis actually can help with, but the number one across the board from state to state is pain. So we know that pain is affiliated with different ailments and conditions in any type of disease states. It can, it just shows its ugly face. And pain is actually, believe it or not, Jill, it can be characterized in different ways. So if you think about a menstrual cramp, it's a spiking pain. Mm-hmm. It just pops up and then it dies down. Or you can think about a systemic pain, which goes up and it just stays at this heightened state. Mm-hmm. I would treat that patient differently. Um, when you have a cramp, you just need immediate relief. And using a vaporizer and pulling from it for 30 seconds will just kill that, you know, that spiky type of pain. And it's an immediate relief. But it's only duration is only good for about two hours, where if you have chronic pain, you need coverage over hours. You need something from six to eight hours. Then I would go with something like a tincture to be able to treat that type of pain where it just stays and it presses that pain down. So that is where you start to look at what is the best way to treat your ailments and your condition. But pain is number one. After pain, you have a lot of people with insomnia. I, I will tell you, people are just saying, if I could just sleep and be able to have a good night's rest, I can function in the morning. Mm-hmm. But because they're not able to sleep, um, they're having this, you know, less of a quality of life. And, and with that, you have to understand how sleep works. Sleep. People have problems falling asleep. Some people have um, problems staying asleep. Mm -hmm. So for cannabis, you need to find the strain. Some people will go with the indica that just knocks them down and keeps them asleep. That is so powerful that they won't get up until the morning time. But some people just need relaxation enough to get to sleep where once they achieve that, they can stay asleep. So a milder indica might help with that as well. Um, But the sleep definitely in a long lasting form, and that's where people usually tend to go with like nighttime gummies because Mm -hmm. edibles are actually the most um, potent form of cannabis, believe it or not. (laughs) And, um, And also they give you that duration of coverage. So a nighttime gummy has been remarkable to what patients need because it literally has been able to keep them asleep from the time they want to lay down to the time they wake up without feeling groggy. even much longer if they are misdosed as (laughs) most people have been (laughs) buying edible once or twice. Yeah, I lost an entire weekend. I I really I I (laughs) lost an entire weekend in Colorado from uh, 
edible. I just was so knocked. It was it wasn't fun. I mean, I was just completely knocked out. I literally lost a weekend. It was gone. So yeah, yes. yeah, edibles are not my thing. Um, but. but if you get the right dosage and you are able to use it in a way just to restart your or uh, reset your circadian rhythms, it's amazing. Like three days usually at the right dosage and you're sleeping. You don't need it anymore. Your body has um, achieved that rhythm and you're able to sleep on your own. Oh, sleep is the most important thing. Oh, oh my Tell God. me about it. Yeah, there, I don't <laughs> think there's anything for your health that's better than sleep, I'm sure. Yes, I'm not going to tell you about it. So how do you see the cannabis industry changing in the next like five, 10 years with everything that's happening now, with what's coming? The cannabis industry in the next five to years is a complete gamble. Right now, cannabis is number five in ranking as the biggest crop in the United States. And with, yes, it's crazy. Um, And with that, That it's not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) It is... um, It is definitely a medicine that's going to stay and how it legalizes will be definitely trivial um, because there's so many things that need to be taken into account, Um, patient rights, um, whether big pharma can jump in, big tobacco, the alcohol industry, um, how those people who are disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs that are incarcerated do you let them out of prison? If you do, do you take clean their records up? Um, children that have been taken away from their parents, how do you like amend those relationships? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that have to be addressed. And right now, um, I think the biggest issue is that patients can't even use their credit cards or their debit cards in a dispensary. It's cash only, which who carries cash anymore? And Why is that? What is the reasoning behind that? The federal government says that it is illegal and we can't use federal banks, which are FDIC insured federally. And therefore, banking services are not allowed for patients and employers and owners. And it has been such a disservice to our community. Because I think we all swap our credit cards pretty regularly. Oh my and gosh. Yeah, you can't do it here. And so you don't have access to the medicine like you would like to. And it becomes very strenuous, especially when you think about it, it's not subsidized by health insurance. So it's not like you, you know, you have cancer today and you get a discount. No, it's a all cash. And you have to use it to treat your symptoms. And if you can't afford to pull that cash out today, you can't use credit or you can't use anything else to help you obtain your medicine. So it's been a really tug of war. And um, that's why you see a lot of uh, non-for-profits helping parents that have children with epilepsy because they don't get the money from the subsidy, I should say, from um, the government for any healthcare um, usage, everything is cash out of pocket and you see your child have a seizure, you're like, 
I won't eat tonight because I need my child to be at peace with health. So those are the hard issues we're facing. So I think like really the part that gets me the most is protect our children first because you can't put a, a law between a parent <laughs> and a child. Yeah. It's, there's no, it, you'll lose every time. We're going to do whatever is best for our children. I mean, there are children, there are connection. We carried them for nine months. We love them when no one else loved them. We embrace them. We, we deal with their bullshit every day. Like, but if they're in pain, we're going to want to help them. Yeah. And so those parents with children with epilepsy um, and autism should have a right to have medication subsidized. Absolutely. Shonda, is there anything else that you'd like to to talk about? Anything <laughs> anything we didn't address that you were hoping we did, we would, because we can I feel like we can keep talking forever, but I want to uh I don't want to do that to you. No, Jill, I do want to say one other thing. Um I'm the CEO of an organization called Women Grow. Yep. And Women Grow is about really empowering, inspiring, educating the next generation of women leaders in the cannabis space. And um, just right now, statistically, on the C-level and managerial level, collectively, women only represent 22% of the entire industry. Mm. And we're the caregivers. We're the ones that take care of our families. And we understand what this plant could potentially mean to families um, overall. So I really encourage women that are in their own careers today to think about just pivoting their careers over into the cannabis space. If you are an accountant today, maybe think about accounting and cannabis. We have um, laws like the 280E that we need to start changing some of these um, policies and laws surrounding. Um, if you're in marketing, I think it's really important for you to get out and think about cannabis marketing. You can't use advertisements on Facebook, on Instagram, on most platforms. So how do you share information and uh, educate others without um, having access to our day-to-day -day, um, social media platforms? But we need those innovators in this industry that are willing to plow the way because we need change and we need to open up access for all patients that want access. The kids that don't have a voice to the parents that have an ailment and condition, like we're the ones that can bring about that change. And I believe in us. So this call of action is for the women out that are listening to the podcast to seriously consider this. We need you. You're welcome. We want you here. And we actually need you here. Awesome. I will leave all the details in the show notes so people can check it out. Um, and thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening today. She's Got Issues is produced by Kira Shine, Play Audio Agency, and me, Jill Smokler. We would be so appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to check out the magazine, she'sgotissues.com. See you next time.